the students that want to and are able to make it come in and can talk to the judges about their projects. And we have zoo staff and part of our zoo volunteer team that serve as judges and actually give them scores and award prizes. And so, and their family and friends are able to come to that and see what they've been working on, see those conservation messages and kind of what they're learning about animal welfare and how we provide it in a zoo setting. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I'm your host and chief goddess of the PASS Foundation, Annalise Corbin. We know the current model for education is obsolete. It was designed to create fleets of assembly line workers, not the thinkers and problem solvers needed today. We've seen the innovations that are possible within education, and it's our goal to leave the box behind and reimagine what education can look like in your own backyard. Welcome to today's episode of Learning Unboxed. As always, we are super excited about the conversation that we are about to have with innovative programs and projects in the world of education. And today joining us is Rebecca Morningstar, who has been teaching the animal science and zoo management courses at Potter Park Zoo in Lansing, Michigan, since 2013. And uh, Rebecca, welcome to the program. We're super excited to have you. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Excellent. Well, so for folks who might not um, have a really great understanding, and I um, was trolling around on the the project and it's a website, um, a couple of websites actually, help folks understand first and foremost, um, sort of about the mission, I guess, if you will, um, about the Potter Park Zoo, first and foremost. And then we're going to jump into the partnership that you have with the Educational Service Center and the way that this whole program sort of came to be. But let's start recognizing we've got folks that come to us from all over the world who might not know anything about uh, Potter Park Zoo. All right. Um, yeah, absolutely. So Potter Park Zoo is a um, smaller zoo in Michigan in the United States. We are AZA accredited. So that's the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. Essentially what that means is we are going above and beyond the minimum requirements to provide the highest possible welfare for our animals and the highest possible guest experience for our guests, work experience for our staff. All of that, we're, going, we're meeting the highest standards is essentially what AZA means. That's kind of a, a seal of approval, mm-hmm. if you will, that, that we're going above and beyond. So our mission here at Potter Park is inspiring conservation of animals and the natural world. And one of the ways that we do that is through our education programming. So if you look at zoo mission statements throughout AZA institutions, the two key themes that we see in all of them are conservation and education. We can't get people out there making a difference if they don't know the issues and what they can do to help. So those are two of our key things. Excellent. And for our listeners, you know, um, Folks who listen on a regular basis know that I really, really love programs that are tied to museums, to zoos, to all those different sort of informal educational opportunities that are available. And we've talked to a couple of different now that have, you know, sort of versions of a zoo school or programming that are particularly tied to their local K-12. And I personally feel like that these are fabulous, fabulous programs because it really gives students a context for the stuff that they're learning in that applied real world and sort of hands-on opportunity. So we're going to dig right in um, with Rebecca and really sort of talk about what is unique and interesting about the 
the Potter Park Zoo. Sorry, lots of peas today. <laughs> and sort of how you've teamed up with the, the Eaton Regional Educational Service Center and a career prep sort of approach to thinking about we can do some creative things with our local 11th and 12th graders who are involved in this program. So Rebecca, sort of share with us a little bit about the gist of the program, and then we're going to get into a little bit about the partnerships and why you structured the partnerships the way you do, and then what the program actually does. So first and foremost, sort of set the stage for us. Okay. My program is called the Animal Science and Zoo Management Course. I have two sections. I have one in the morning and one in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. They're both two hours long. So I see my kids for two hours every day for the entire school year. Um, and they're busing here from, usually I have 12 to 14 school districts in any given year, but we're pulling from about 26 different schools in the area where our students are recruited from. So I think I have 12 schools represented this year. Um, mm -hmm. All the students are 11th and 12th graders, like you said, and they're all interested in fields in animal or careers in animal science, somewhere in the animal science field. So what we're doing with our program is during our two hours every day, we're getting a mix of lecture, learning about what the different areas in the field are. Um, we have guest speakers coming in talking about what they do for a living and about different departments that you might go through um, if you choose a college bound route. And we're learning through a lot of hands-on things here at the zoo. Like we have classroom animals that the students are responsible for doing all the daily care, all the training, all the enrichment. So we're doing a lot of hands-on learning that way. Yeah. And the kids get so much out of that because you've just, you've provided so much context for them. So I'm also um, just, you know, sort of recognizing that as things are folks are thinking about sort of what this program looks like. I guess a couple of, of curiosity questions more than anything else. So the first one is, so as you started this program or the, the, the zoo and the local regional educational service agency and the career prep partners that sort of all come to play across all of those different districts. So share with us a little bit about sort of that origin story, if you will, in terms of why these partners, why now with this program and sort of where do you sort of feel like sort of the call to action on all of this came from? I actually wasn't here when the program first started. I inherited it from the previous instructor. So I'm actually the third instructor for this program. So I wasn't here for all of that. I know a little bit about it. So I do know that the um, Career Prep Center actually approached the zoo about hosting a program and they both agreed that it would be a really great, unique opportunity to have a program in the natural resources pathway for our kids who are interested in more animal science, natural resources sort of careers, because we didn't really have a program that fit that pathway at our career prep center. So this provided a really unique opportunity using the resources that we have in our area. And I know everybody was really excited about it on both sides. Yeah. And, you know, I will say that, you know, given the number of these that I've talked with or about um, over the years, that that tends to be sort of the, the trend. There's just so much excitement. And I think that part of it is because everybody loves to go to the zoo. You know, we take our kids there when they're little and, you know, and then kids get super, super jazzed about it. And then something happens along the way, I think often, you know, as kids get older and then they lose that, that opportunity to kind of be there and be immersed in that space. 
space, that really amazing sort of informal learning opportunity if their families still aren't going because their kids get older. And so for those kids, I think that just naturally gravitated towards that, there, there, there seems to be this sort of fall off space where they can't find a way to engage in that. And so I do think that oftentimes communities get really excited when they figure out a way to reconnect that, you know, as the kids get older and they're, they're getting ready to think about that post-secondary and what can we do with that. Um, so I actually applaud the program for that because I think that happens that way, you know, fairly frequently. So, but let me ask you now, so you've inherited this program and I'm sure that over time there's been lots of consistencies, but there's also things that you're thinking about based on your own background and your own experience, you know, working with, with the zoo and the various things that you do in that capacity as it relates to the to program and the program goals. So, you know, as you sort of think about the fact that you've got these kids for two hours a day for a whole year, that's pretty exciting. But how how do you decide what components you're going to teach, what components you're not going to teach? I assume that it translates back to, you know, formal CTE or career opportunity pathways the state of Michigan has put in place. And so you're sort of crosswalking, if you will, the standards and the opportunities that the courses will count for the students. But ultimately, how do you make the decisions around the content for this program? Yes, that that is a constant struggle because I always want <laughs> so much more than I have time for. Um, so yeah, like you said, ultimately, like my my hard and fast is I have to get the curriculum covered. So our state curriculum is technically animal health and veterinary science. So we're technically considered to be a veterinary class. Um, so right now we're getting ready to start a big unit on anatomy, um, which I also really enjoy and I the kids really enjoy learning about it. So that one's easy to try to get too, try to fit too much in. So yeah, it's, it's always a struggle for me to pare it down to fit within my time constraints. And we're always, um, my student services coordinator who works with me through Eat and Reset and I are always trying to figure out what else can we do that will help better prepare the kids. So we try to build in a lot of life skills and things too, that they're not necessarily getting elsewhere being the career prep center, we do a lot of career prep work, like doing resumes and mock interviews and career readiness skills like that. We've been trying to work in more like personal finance stuff and working in, you know, cross-curricular, working on writing projects and working on their grammar. We're getting ready to start a unit on veterinary math right now. So there is always way too much to fit in. A lot of it, my decision making is what do I have time for right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. And so, but in addition to the classroom parts too, the kids actually have a fair amount of hands-on. You you mentioned previously here that they, they have some responsibilities as it relates to the animals that are in the classroom that are part of the program, but you're also doing a fair amount of, um, I assume, some walkabout that happens in the zoo. Um, I know from the materials that you sent over that, you know, there's um, student shadowing that happens tied to zookeepers and a variety of other pieces like that. So share with us a little bit about sort of what you're wrapping around, I guess, the the formal structured curriculum components, though, versus sort of the hands-on and the applied, oh, wow, I love this sort of piece as well. How do you balance those two things for the students? Yeah, that is also always a challenge. Um, (laughs) What I have found has been working fairly well um, the last couple of years is with our animal husbandry tasks are like cleaning the rat cage, mm-hmm. making enrichment items for the rats to keep them mentally stimulated, 
doing water changes on the fish tanks, testing the water chemistry. While we're doing some of those like everyday sort of hands-on skills, I have a group of students who are working on those and a group of students, like the students who don't, aren't assigned to those tasks that day will be working on like working on projects for the more curriculum-based part of the class. Mm-hmm. And so I have half of them doing hands-on and half of them doing more worksheets or brainstorming for a project or researching a project um, at the same time. So we do have a lot of those really interesting hands-on things like the zookeeper shadows. That's always mm-hmm. the kid's favorite part. I have mm-hmm. to laugh because it's the part I have the least to do with, but <laughs> that's everybody's favorite. And I totally don't blame them because it's a really cool opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, they go out about six times throughout the year and work one-on-one with a zookeeper for the entire class period and just see kind of what it's like to be a zookeeper. So some days they are shoveling wood chips for a good chunk of the time. Some days they are getting, they're cleaning. Some days they're getting to pet a rhino and do an education program with the keepers for our big zoo lesson group, which is an elementary school program we have. So that takes up like a fairly sizable portion of it because I only send a few kids out on job shadows at a time. So we have those scheduled all the way throughout the year. We do go out and do behavior observations on the animals and we keep ethograms. We keep records of what behaviors we're observing. And then at the end of the year, we go through and kind of analyze those, see what trends we see, what things were affecting their behavior. So when they have, if they finish a project early, that's something that it's, we can fit that observation period into that time. That tends to work pretty well. I mean, I think that it just sort of illustrates, you know, for folks that, you know, the students really love to be able to have those applied opportunities. And we talk about that all the time on this program. It doesn't really matter what the topic seems to be that the minute you start really engaging students in that sort of hands on, you know, whether it be let's get dirty or let's really sort of understand or the job shadowing or the or what have you, um, you know, students really, really get those components um, of of that, that work and so that always seems to be the thing that they get super excited about. One of the other things that um, I know that you had mentioned um, in some of the materials that you sent over is that um, the students work on a, a sort of a, a special project often. I think the one that you were talking about this time was a focus species um, that they the students worked on. And so I'm a little bit curious sort of about how that work, first and foremost, I guess, maybe explain a little bit about what that is. And then more specifically, though, how the students take that particular special project and turn it into something that is directly a benefit back to the organization, in this case, to the museum, uh, the, the, the zoo itself. So what does that look like? Because that's another piece that I find to be a fairly common component of these types of programs. And I'm really super curious about how you structured that in such a way that the students get that they're giving back to the organization. So with the Focus Species Project, that's um, a project that we work on throughout the year, mm-hmm. and they just kind of keep adding to it throughout the year. So at the beginning of the year, they pick an, a species. It doesn't have to be one that we have here. They can pick whatever species they're interested in. And as we go through our different units, we'll add to our research about that animal. Um, so at the beginning of the year, they were just doing like, what is your animal's common name? What's its scientific name? Why do we use scientific names? 
where what is their natural distribution and range and you know habitat in the world where are they found and then as we work through our anatomy and physiology unit next um, when we get to like the gastrointestinal system they will research what what kind of gastrointestinal system does your animal have how does that affect their nutritional needs what does the nutrition of your animal look like at a zoo versus in the wild and as we get to conservation They'll research what conservation threats are your animals facing, what efforts are currently being made, what are things that people can be doing in their daily lives that might help contribute to the conservation of this animal. And one of the things they'll be doing to tie into that that is helping to promote the zoo's mission is we usually make in the spring when we get to the time of all of our conservation holidays, Earth Day and Arbor Day and all of those, um, we'll make posters with conservation actions that the public can take in their daily lives. And we put them up throughout the zoo during those big conservation events for people to see. Um, so that's one of the ways that they're helping forward the mission there is taking that knowledge that they're learning and sharing it out with the public. Um, and then in May, we have an exhibit design fair where they take all of that research that they've done throughout the year and then they have to um, use the actual AZA or EAZA, which is the European equivalent of AZA. They take the official husbandry manuals for their species from those organizations, research what are the needs of this animal in a managed environment like a zoo, and then they have to design and build a model exhibit for their animal, a model habitat. And um, then we have a, an exhibit design fair, which we run kind of like a science fair, we have their presentations out next to their exhibits. We have their exhibits. The students that want to and are able to make it come in and can talk to the judges about their projects. And we have zoo staff and um, part of our zoo volunteer team that serve as judges and actually give them scores and award prizes. And so, and their family and friends are able to come to that and see what they've been working on, see those conservation messages and kind of what they're learning about animal welfare and how we provide it in a zoo setting. Yeah, I really love that. That is absolutely spectacular. Yeah, no. I, you know, I, I love when students are able to actually share with the world the work that they're doing. So, you know, that always gets me jazzed. But I particularly love the fact that you have these these kiddos doing, you know, an entire habitat design. That's that's super spectacular. And it's also has these kids really thinking across multiple planes, not just the research that, you know, they were working on, but they really have to have a great understanding of, you know, sort of the ecosystem that they're working um, within. They have to have an understanding of how you build an artificial um, ecosystem. And th those are really deep, high-level thinking skills um, that these kids are getting by doing that work. It's super fun. They have a lot of fun with it. They get to, you know, be crafty and creative. And we get to hide a lot of good content in there as well with all of those things. Plus, we do, like, we review some geometry with doing scale drawings to do our, our draft drawings of the projects and our writing with writing up your presentation, presenting it because they have to present them to the class. So we get to hide a lot of other skills in there as well. 
Yeah, and you know, there's there's nothing better than you know, they will remember those skills, right? You know, they'll actually remember the geometry because you gave them an actual applied opportunity to use it as opposed to just what they, you know, may or may not remember from when they actually took geometry um, as a formalized class. I th always think it's better when you 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 sort of uh, you know tap that into some context component. So that's really fabulous. Um, you know, I'm also super curious. You know, you've been doing this for a number of years. The programs existed for a number of years, and I would imagine that along the way, there have been some interesting sort of surprises or some aha moments that you've had um, with the kids as the program um, has evolved. And I'm, I'm always curious and, and the listeners love to hear, you know, some of those specific sort of stories, if you will, about, you know, what is an aha moment? Maybe it's an aha moment that you watched a kid go through, or maybe it's just one for yourself from sort of the sort of teaching and learning perspective that, that you've been involved in um, as it relates to this piece of work. So, what are some of those things? Do you, do you have one or two of those that you would be able to share with us today? I mean, off the top of my head, um, one that comes to mind is just, I was surprised at how much the kids are able to connect with one another in class because they're all coming from different schools, but they really, um, they connect very well in the class. They all have very similar interests. They tend to have fairly similar personalities. Um, a lot of them, don't necessarily fit in with everybody else at their home school. Like I've had students tell me, I don't fit in at my school. This is this is where I feel safest. This is where I feel the most supported by my classmates. So they they really form very strong connections. I have students from my first year teaching this class who still talk to me and tell me they're still hanging out with friends from the class, you know, seven, eight, nine years later. So that that impressed me and they when i give them the opportunity to talk to the counselors about what they thought the best part of the class or like the most impactful part of the class was for them about halfway through the year the topic they chose to focus on was community and how they feel like a family in the class mm -hmm. So. Yeah, yeah, that's really fabulous. Um, you know, and I do that was going to be one of my next questions is because these kids do come from all over the place. How do you how do you how do you sort of help them get there? But it sounds like they get there pretty much on their own. The fact that they showed up and that they all had a similar interest that brought them to the program in the first place becomes that sort of catalyst for that initial sort of step forward, I guess, to happen. Yeah, I think they they do a lot of it on their own. Mm -hmm. I, you know, build it some of the generic icebreakers and stuff. And we go out and tour the zoo in groups and chat with each other while we're out there. But they do a lot of that on their own. They, they're they very good at forming those connections. I think it's a lot just because they have those shared interests mm -hmm. and shared passions. It gives them things to talk about and they get to start fresh with new people. Like the people that they're coming in with in this class don't have preconceived notions of who they are because they've known them since kindergarten. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think that helps too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I always like to sort of think about as I wrap the program um, and the conversation up is recognizing that there are folks that are out there in the world. They they're, they just spent, um, you know, time listening to us have this conversation and they're wondering to themselves or they're thinking about, hey, we have a local zoo or we have a local museum or we have a local conservation unit of any description um, that are out there in our local community, but they're not necessarily working with them or there's no 
specific programs very similar to what you're talking about. And yet we know that classroom teachers or teachers in informal education programs or after school sort of environments oftentimes have a unique opportunity with kids um, to be able to bring some hands on, some real applied, some interesting and innovative programming back into their classroom. So let's say that you're a teacher and you're in the middle middle of nowhere someplace, right? Um, we do have, you know, a local zoo or a community organization that's doing some conservation work and yet I'm not I'm not hooked up with them. What would you recommend, you know, from your own work in, in your own setting, you know, in terms of how somebody might be able to sort of reach out and start a conversation that might lead to an innovative program that could either be brought into a classroom or created at a partner organization? I mean, honestly, just reach out to the the education department at that institution. That's how a lot of our programming has started. This program was an example. Our career prep center knew that there was interest and they wanted um, to have something in that natural resources pathway. So they reached out to the zoo. Um, we're always, I know at our institution and every other institution I've talked to people from, we're always looking for new ways that we can reach the community. Um, we actually just this fall started a program for homeschooled students at our zoo um, that I teach on Fridays between my high school classes. And that was because somebody reached out and asked us if that was something that we had considered. And we, it was something we had been thinking about and that let us know that the interest was there. So we actually just started that up this fall in cooperation with some local homeschool parents because they reached out and told us they were interested. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I would suspect that that's how those things happen frequently. So um, absolutely great advice. Um, you know, Rebecca, I want to thank you very much for taking time out of your day to um, share and have this conversation with us. And, um, you know, for our listeners, we very much uh, will be posting um, some resources and links um, that go with the show when we release it. Um, and I hope that if you have questions um, for Rebecca, that you'll reach out. Um, but we thank you very much for taking time to talk with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for you know, giving me the opportunity to do so. Excellent. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education. <laughs>